Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I 
K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny King. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Bernice Good. Bernice went into preterm labor when her water broke at 31 weeks. Though the circumstances were less than ideal, she had what she describes as a lovely vaginal hospital birth with no interventions. However, there were some struggles during the 19-day NICU stay that followed, but she shares how they successfully navigated breastfeeding with all the obstacles of prematurity. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. As always, thank you for all the love you give the show. If what you hear is helpful, you know what to do. Subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. All right. So my guest today is Bernice Good, who is here to share her preemie vaginal birth story. And she, as she was navigating her experience, she realized that there aren't that many resources for low intervention minded NICU parents. So she wanted to put her story out there for encouragement and is the reason she reached out. So let's get to it. Bernice, welcome. I am so happy to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Adriana. Oh, it's great. Uh, first of all, I love hearing you say my name. <laughs> Not that I don't yeah. like what other people yeah. say, but you know. Yeah, yeah, I had a little bit of practice. <laughs> so that tells me you've got some Latino roots in I you. Um, yes. Tell I us do. a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Bernice Good, and um, I am. I live in Harrisonburg, Virginia, with my husband Branson Good. And he has a flooring company uh, with his dad. And uh, we've been married for five years. Um, and a year ago, we welcomed our first child into the world. And his name is Declan. And I'm a stay-at-home mom to him. And um, like you said, I do have Latin roots. My dad uh, was from Honduras. And uh, my mom was from Pennsylvania. Um, so, yeah, that is. Uh, and before having Declan, I worked as an administrative assistant for five years. Cool. Do you ever get down to Honduras? No, I don't. I don't actually um, like to go back sometime. But yeah, it's just um, not really one of those things I, I've done yet. Okay. Bucket list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So um, your story is unusual in the sense that you ended up having a very early delivery. Your baby, yeah. was you were how far along when, when you had your baby? I was 32 and 3. Okay, 32 weeks, three days. So yeah, yeah that is that is quite unusual. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely want to hear about everything behind that. But let's take you back to way before mm -hmm. when you were first pregnant and what your wishes were for your birth and how what you were doing to prepare. Like how were those first few months? Yeah. Um, well, growing up, birth was something uh, we never really talked about very much as a family. Um, and it just kind of was almost taboo. And I just kind of thought birth was what you saw in the movies. You know, it was almost impossible or extremely unbearable or painful. Um, but over the years, I've become more natural minded. And 
I started realizing, um, thanks in large part to your podcast and um, just from reading and educating myself that birth is is something natural and um, is something a woman's body under most circumstances is equipped to do. And it doesn't have to be scary or dreadful. Um, so the more I thought about it, to me, it didn't make sense to have a natural process uh, like birth being done in a hospital where, I mean, that's where you go when you're injured or need medical attention. Um, and to me, hospitals signal emergency or high stress, and they have a more of a one size fits all approach to birth. Um, so I had decided long before getting pregnant that I didn't want to have a hospital birth. Um, and what really cemented that desire for a natural birth, either at home or at a birth center, was watching my sister's birth video with her daughter, which took place at her home under a midwife's care. Um, and I mean, at the time, I didn't have much interest yet in birth, um, but it did ignite the passion in me for being under care that encourages the mother to be able to go with her body signals uh, and, and follow her tuition without medical interventions. And I just felt that for birth to be successful, I needed to be in a space that was secure for me emotionally and physically, um, which to me necessarily isn't a hospital. And also to have a supportive, well-informed team around me encouraging me. Mm -hmm. um, and so then once you got pregnant um, and you had these wishes in mind, what did you do to set up that supportive team? And where were your, what was your desired place of birth? Yeah, so um, there is actually a birth center uh, just 15 minutes away from from my house. So even before getting pregnant, I figured that I I would go with that. I was I was fairly sure I would go with that. So um, when we did conceive for the first time, I made sure to read everything I could um, to eat healthy and of course to be on the best prenatal. <laughs> and I was sure everything was just going to go right because I was doing all the right things. Um, but then around eight weeks gestation, I started to bleed. And this was before I had even called the midwife and set up an appointment because, I mean, typically you, you wait a little longer. Um, so, um, yeah, at, a, at around eight weeks gestation, I started to bleed heavily and passed large clots of blood. So I had assumed that I miscarried. So I called the birth center, told them about it, and they told me to come in. And they did a quick ultrasound and confirmed that the baby was fine. Um, but I continued to bleed every day and about two more times I experienced very heavy bleeding. Um, but every time I went back into the birth center to see if I miscarried, the baby's heart was, heartbeat was good and strong. Um, so my midwife tested my blood to see if it was RH negative and it wasn't. So, uh, she scheduled a vaginal ultrasound at the local hospital. And by this point I was 10 weeks along. Um, so there they found that I had a 10 by 5 centimeter large subchorionic hemorrhage, which is when the placenta detaches, then reattaches to the uterus, creating a pool of blood. Um, they also found that I had some fibroids, but that was not really addressed. And I didn't even see that on my records till I went back and looked at them myself. Um, the bleeding from the hemorrhage stopped at around 16 weeks. And I had another ultrasound at 22 weeks. And uh, the doctor confirmed that the hemorrhage had seemed to resolve itself. And he told me I shouldn't have to worry about it, except that the one thing to watch for was preterm labor, which, of course, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. I was like, that's not going to happen to me. 
<laughs> and what were the indications that they were saying for the preterm labor? Like, yeah, when the doctor told you this is something you should be concerned about or it's a possibility, did they explain a bit of the why? No, no, he didn't. And it was it was just right end at the at our appointment there. And I, I just thought, you know, for sure. Well, actually, my sister had also had a subcuronic hemorrhage and she didn't go into preterm labor. And so, I, you know, I just kind of assumed that I didn't ask questions. And looking back, I, I wish so much I would have. But <laughs> yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. What were some of the questions you wish you asked? Um, I wish I would have asked uh what causes a subcoronic hemorrhage? Why, you know, why does that happen? Um, and then I wish I would have asked if there was anything I could do to strengthen the sac um, in the meantime. Um, so yeah, some, just some questions like that. Yeah, and maybe something to keep in mind for next time. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> have you had? <laughs> have you looked into these questions since? Yes, yes, I have. Um, actually, after he was born, I. I talked to my midwife and I asked her if she thought it was something to worry about, you know, down the road. And she said, she said, not necessarily, but that she would probably put me on uh, progesterone supplements. But, you know, I, I wanted to know, well, why am I low in progesterone? Um, and so th those are the, some of the things that I, I wanted to, to investigate. And um, since then I've gotten rid of like so many um, endocrine disruptors in my house, you know, from toxic chemicals and lotions and shampoos and BPAs and that, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, of course I can't, uh, really test my hormones right now since I'm still, uh, breastfeeding, but it's something I definitely want to do before the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. seems like you're proactively checking all the boxes so that you make it to term next time. When, yeah. if, if whenever yeah. that, right. you know, <laughs> Yeah. In the future, no, no pressures. Yeah, um, no, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. And you told me before we started uh, recording that your son is almost one. So yeah, yeah you've got time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy, though, how fast that baby fever does come back around. <laughs> right? Yeah. <Yes. laughs> so at 20 weeks, you had your ultrasound and um, the doctor said, you know, everything looks good, but there's this concern of possible premature labor you went home how did things continue after that yeah so I I went on to have a totally normal pregnancy um till 31 weeks of course um it was a Sunday morning almost a year ago to the day um and I had just got up and used the restroom and I went back to bed and then I felt this gush and of course everyone thinks oh no I peed myself but it, I just it didn't quite feel like that um so I continued with my morning. I started getting ready for church, but I noticed that I kept leaking on and off this clear, uh, smellless fluid. I I did not want to believe my water broke. So um, I told my husband and he told me to call the midwife right away. She told me to come in and she tested the fluid. Um, and it was indeed amniotic fluid. And she told me I'd probably broken my waters. And I asked her if I, if she thought it had anything to do with the subchronic hemorrhage and, and she said possibly. Um, so she told us to go to the hospital, uh, well, to go home first and, and pack and head straight to the hospital while she called the hospital with the NICU, uh, which was about an hour away. Um, so she notified them that we were coming. And 
I just remember sensing the urgency in her voice. And I was, I was still dumbfounded because I was like, you know, this baby's not due for another nine weeks. And I had felt that <clears throat> if the baby was indeed coming anytime soon, that, that all my intentions for a healthy pregnancy had, had crumbled and, and everything was, was in vain. Um, but she told me that whenever I did start to go into active labor, that I could call the birth center and they would come and support and advocate for me and, and the birth that I wanted. Um, so we got to the hospital and they did confirm that wa my waters were ruptured. And I remember the first thing I asked them was, does this now make me high risk for my next pregnancies? And the doctor said, well, yes, you'll always be considered high risk now. And that just kind of crushed me. And I, and I also remember asking them, well, why did my water break? And my answer, I, I, th I think I asked a few doctors this and my answer was pretty much all the same. And it was that, well, preterm premature rupture of membranes just happens in 10% of pregnancies. And I asked them if they thought it was due to the hemorrhage and the doctor just said, probably, um, or it could be. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm still searching for answers on this and I'll probably never know for sure. Um, but my gut does tell me it was probably um, in large part due to the hemorrhage and, and maybe the fibroids. And um, <clears throat> I did I did have a, a lot of ultrasounds and yeah, I don't know, there's there's some new studies about that and, and preterm labor too. So um, that's something to think about. Um, and yeah. yeah, like I said, and go it, ahead. Yeah, no, and it's one of those things that there might not be an answer yeah. to. Yeah, and yeah, that's... That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to wrap, to to come to terms with that. I can right. understand. Yeah. Yeah, and to just move on. Yeah. Mm. Bernice, let's take a quick break. When we come sure. back, I want to hear. So now your water's broken. What next? We'll be right back. And we are back talking with Bernice Good about her her birth story. And so your water just broke prematurely at thirty one weeks and you're at the hospital and you're getting answers that, um, y you know, that you're not going to be considered high risk. Where was your, where were you at all this in terms of your mental state? What were you thinking? I was really just in shock and just, um, just kind of in disbelief. I remember um, they, they showed me around the NICU floor and I just thought, well, I thought of everything before this all happened. Of course, I, I, have, I had thought of everything going wrong except for this. Um, and it was just kind of hard to, to wrap my mind around. Um, and I was still working at the time and um, had to, to tell them that, uh, yeah, I can't come back to work right now. <laughs> and they were very gracious about it, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of just shame. And, and it was almost humiliating to think of, of being a preemie mom, um, especially since I had thought I had, I had done so many things to have a healthy pregnancy. And I just didn't understand why this was happening. Tell me a little bit more about that. I wasn't expecting you to say shame and humiliation of having, because were you feeling that this was your fault in some way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt a lot of a lot of guilt, yet I couldn't pinpoint, you know, uh, why. And it wasn't like I had gone and intentionally broken my waters. And I just remember thinking, well, maybe it was because I I had had a, a cough, and maybe that put pressure on the amniotic, amniotic sac, and you know, just kind of these ridiculous thoughts or whatever going through my head. And um, 
I think I was scared too what what his state would be like, what all he would need. And um, I just I just almost didn't want people to pity me uh, for some reason. I think it was just a lot of a lot of my pride and and just that I was sure that I was going to have this pregnancy like I had planned. Mm-hmm. And that's right. One of the hardest things about birth is it does its own thing. And you never know. It's it's a very humbling experience, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can prepare as much as as much as you want, but there's that uncertainty, and that it's a, also a fifty fifty partnership with your child. And sometimes they want to be born in a different way, or circumstances <laughs> are such that the, you know, yeah, doesn't go yeah. according to plan. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're having all these feelings at the same time they're giving you a NICU tour. What is going on with your body? Did you start having contractions or was it just the fluid kept coming? Yeah. So um, once they admitted me, they promptly gave me four days of antibiotics uh, through an IV to keep away any infection, which um, and as well as they gave steroids for the baby's lungs. Um, and that was kind of hard for me too, to accept the antibiotics with, you know, the damage they can do in your gut and all that. Um, but they, and then I was, I was continually leaking the amniotic fluid. And when I would lay down, um, it didn't really much, but then as soon as I stood up, it would, cause I guess it just pools when you're, when you're laying down. But then when I stood up, it would leak out. Yeah. And your body um, keeps making it. Yeah. Which I think is crazy. <laughs> Um, and then I would, they would monitor, monitor me every morning and evening. And I was having some contractions, but they, um, I think they were just Braxton Hicks. At least that's what they felt like to me. And when they were they trying then as much as possible just to uh, extend the pregnancy to give your son as many days as was safe to be inside? Yeah. Yeah. They, they told me that if I was able to ward off labor till 34 weeks, they would induce me, um, which didn't, which didn't sound super appealing to me, but I also wanted the baby to be able to stay inside for as long as possible. Um, yeah. Like, like you said, every day in the womb takes off like a week in the NICU. So, um, every day he was still inside was a celebration for sure. Um, they didn't tell me that I had to be on bed rest. I could get up and walk around and go downstairs. Um, but of course not do anything crazy. Uh, but yeah, so I was uh, just in the hospital um, for eight days. And um, yeah, until until then I went to active labor. So at eight days, it suddenly started on its own? Yeah. And um, the, the night before I went into labor, which maybe it's just a total coincidence, but I remember that I was... I was sitting up um, kind of right on my cervix and I was sitting like that for maybe two hours. And then I kind of remember feeling like the, almost like the baby had just become really low. Um, so, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, but then it was, yeah, it was a Sunday night around 12 a.m. Um, I had I had gone to, to sleep and then I started noticing these cramps and which pretty much felt like, like period cramps. And it woke me up and I looked at the clock and I noticed that they seemed to be coming regularly, um, every 45 minutes. 
And I tried to distract myself by sleeping uh, in between the cramping or watching Netflix. Um, and then they started coming every 30 minutes. And I kept telling myself this wasn't labor. In fact, I was Googling things of what it could be, everything except for labor. <laughs> and by the time morning came, I had convinced myself that this wasn't labor. So I told my husband that I didn't quite feel myself, but um, he should go on to work and that if anything changed, I would tell him. Um, now, this hospital was an hour away from where we lived. So, I mean, it was something to that we kind of sat and debated about, but um, he left and he told me to make sure to tell him as soon as anything changed. Um, so after that, I took a shower and got dressed, hoping, you know, that would make the cramping go away and make me feel better. Um, but then when I used the restroom, I saw I had lost my mucus plug. Um, and I just became increasingly uncomfortable. And uh, it was funny because even the cafeteria lady, uh, she noticed something was off and she brought me in my breakfast and she asked if I was okay. And by this time, I told my husband to come back to the hospital just in case, and uh, I made sure to eat as much as I could because I knew that hospitals don't let you eat once they know you're in labor. Um, Depending and, on the hospital. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and um, in the mornings, the doctors would make their rounds, uh, but they were taking particularly long this morning. Um, but when they finally came, I told them that I was having these odd cramps about every 15 minutes now and that I had just lost my mucus plug. And um, the doctor said, well, we'll hook you up to the monitors and see what's going on. You might be in labor, you might not be. Um, but by this time I was like, I'm pretty sure this baby's coming soon. <clears throat> um, so they hooked me up to the monitors and I was contracting every 10 minutes now. And the nurse came in and she asked me what my pain level was on a scale of one to 10. And I told her maybe a four. And she proceeded to tell me that the doctor was going to come in and check me. And around this time, my husband had made it back to the hospital, thankfully. Um, and I was so relieved to see him. <laughs> oh, I bet. Well, for sure. And so the doctor checked me and I was at a five. And I heard him tell the nurses to call the NICU and to get me over to labor and delivery. And um, I knew that everything was happening really fast. And, and I knew that if I let myself give in to fear and disappointment um, and worry, things would probably not go well. Um, my mind felt just really numb, yet at the same time, um, very sharply focused for uh, the task at hand. And I knew that I needed to commit to the moment. Um, even though it was too early, um, the next thing on the list was to birth this baby as, as peacefully as possible. Um, and yeah, I had, of course, watched and read so many birth stories, but at the same time, I didn't really know what to expect since we hadn't even attended our birthing class yet. <laughs> um, so the nurse got me set up in the new room and uh, hooked me up to the monitors and IV. And she told me that she would get the portable monitor um, so that I could move around. But um, what's really odd is when I had envisioned my birth, I thought of, of, of it as me moving around a lot, maybe on my hands and knees. Um, but it was strange because all I wanted to do was lie as still as possible and, and doze off in between contractions. Um, so 
contractions grew closer together. And um, in between, I closed my eyes and, and rested. And I pictured myself climbing a, mount, a snowy mountain. And instead of focusing on the top of the mountain, which would have been the birth, um, I focused on getting from point to point. Um, each each contraction um, being a point. And I tried to think of them um, as waves, but that illustration didn't actually work for me. Um, so yeah, during the contractions, I just went from, from munching my fists to embracing the pain, knowing it wouldn't last forever. Um, so, and at this point, it was just me and my husband in the room, uh, thankfully. Uh, but the nurse came in and she checked me again and said that uh, they were watching me on the monitors. But she said that slave, that labor might slow down or maybe stop. But I just knew that, yeah, I just, just something told me. I was like, no, this baby's coming today very soon. <laughs> hmm. um, I, I really love that visualization you had going of a snowy mountain and going yeah. from point to point. That seems so serene. And I appreciate how you were just... You know, you have read, you had heard, you had gathered information, but it, of like, say, the waves, and that wasn't quite working for you. So you didn't get stuck on that, but found something that worked for you and didn't get stuck of like, oh, but I should move, but rather yeah. listen to your body and your intuition saying, hmm, I'm mm -hmm. going to sleep instead. <laughs> yeah, sleep while you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, and th th that sleeping is actually one of the best things you can do during labor if you can do it. And I know that sounds like, wait, what? But <laughs> because it takes you to, it gets you out of your thinking brain. When you're sleeping, mm -hmm. you're definitely yeah. not thinking and you're in those altered deep brain waves of, of labor land. So, yeah. and, and then you can have more access to different ways of knowing. Like you're saying, your intuition of just knowing she was mm -hmm. coming quick, even though that wasn't what others were observing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. What time yeah. was this, more or less? Um, so um, when the contractions were 20 minutes apart, it was 7.30 in the morning. Um, by 10.30, I was at a five, um, and I was contracting probably every 15 minutes, and uh, then he was born at almost at one o'clock. Um, so right now, um, where I'm at in my story, it was probably uh, around noon. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing that happened was uh, the anesthesiologist came in and um, he went over my options for an epidural. And all this while, I was in the midst of a very large contraction and I signed the form refusing those options. And I just remember thinking, uh, this baby is coming really soon. I wouldn't even have time to, to, to get that all set up. <laughs> and uh, he was born shortly after that. Um, so 12.30 came and I felt more uncomfortable and I, I, I started to try to move around, uh, but that just uh, did not feel right to me. And I moved to my side. Um, and then I told my husband to go get the nurse because I had this just this incredible urge to push. And um, she came in and I said, I have to push. And she told me to wait as long as I could and to take small, quick breaths. And I just remember thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> I had been taking these long, deep breaths and, and quick breaths just, just tense everything up. And um, 
She typed on the computer fast as she was notifying the doctors and the NICU team to make their way up. And um, they finally came rushing in. I think it took probably three to five minutes and they set things up and raised my bed and surrounded me. And um, my husband was by my side, then the doctor. And uh, this was a university hospital. So uh, there were resident doctors there. a NICU nurse and my labor nurse. And um, so in total with the students and the NICU team, there was probably maybe around 15 people in the room. Um, That's they... a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling myself, don't think about it. Just focus on the people in front of you. <laughs> um, and they quickly did another ultrasound just to make sure that he was head down. And I mean, thank the Lord he was because um, yeah, who knows what would have happened otherwise. They would have delivered a breech birth, a baby from the looks of it. <laughs> from yeah, the sounds yeah of it. probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was finally quote unquote allowed to push and, uh, but I wasn't contracting. Did they the check you? I think they did. Okay. I was thinking about that earlier and I, I don't even remember if they did or not, but I'm, yeah, I'm fairly certain they did. Okay. Um, so yeah, and then once I was allowed to push, I wasn't contracting and I thought, oh no, is my labor gonna slow down? <laughs> but um, the contractions came and about five minutes later, um, I felt what felt like a cork popping off the wine bottle and I felt his little body slide through me. Um, and they quickly placed him on my chest and um, I was just in complete shock and amazement and um, they confirmed no tearing, which was such a huge relief to me, but uh, it wasn't shocking since he only weighed four pounds and three ounces. Um, Itty bitty. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they right away cut his cord and, and shortly took him away. Uh, I think he maybe spent, I don't know, maybe 15 seconds laying on my chest. Um, they... Yeah, so they they took him away out of the room, I guess, down to the NICU. And um, my husband, he tried to go with him, but uh, they actually wouldn't let him, which um, just, I don't know, it kind of baffles me looking back. And um, we actually discovered months afterwards that they had had given him some things that we did not actually consent to. And I had never been admitted to a hospital. And um, I wish I had known hospital protocol better. And um, after listening to your podcast with uh, Kristen Pascucci, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know so much more in that. And yeah, that was so helpful. Yeah. And with that, you know, that's a great reminder because... I'm always saying, you know, make sure you tour your 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 hospital. Mm-hmm. Make sure you ask about protocol for triage and admittance so you know. But that's a great reminder to actually yeah. also ask for protocol um, in case of NICU admission. Yes, for sure. And I had I had wished, um, yeah, looking back that um, I had called my my midwives at the birth center. Um, and uh, had them come down because they um, they knew about those things at that point a lot a lot better than I did. Um, and at the same time, like it's uh, the, during pregnancy, you're thinking about so many things yeah. and learning yeah. so much. Like, uh, yeah. you know, you can't know everything, um, <laughs> right? Right. So it's not yeah. uh, don't 
also balancing out, I want to say like, yes, it's great to know, but also balancing out that guilt of like, look, you yeah. can't ask, don't, uh, I guess I want to say, don't blame yourself for thinking yeah. that, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah Bernice, exactly. let's take another break. Um, when we come back, obviously I want to know what happened. We'll be right back. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed, in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. And we are back. Um, yeah, so your son was just whisked away to the NICU or your husband was with you. Um, let's focus first on what's happening with you. 
and then we'll go to baby. But like, what were the next steps for you in this situation? Yeah. So um, the first thing I remember was that I was just incredibly cold. Um, and I kind of felt my body just was almost shaking. Um, and yeah, we were just kind of sitting there in shock, just so thankful for the peaceful delivery and that things went well. Um, and, uh, they also delivered my placenta and then, uh, the nurse took me to the restroom and, um, around this time, my IV and my arm was getting sore and, they said they needed to put another one in. And I said, well, why? And, and the nurse said, well, your dose of Pitocin isn't done. And I hadn't even known they were giving it to me. Um, and I wasn't hemorrhaging or anything. And uh, she said she would ask the doctor if they could just stop the dose. And she came back and, and said, I would need to finish it. And uh, yeah, just like we said earlier, um, I did have a voice and, you know, I could have, I could have said something. Um, yeah. Hindsight's 2020. <laughs> and in um, those situations, um, this is something we've been talking a lot within the doula community as well, because when you're going through such emotional heightened situations and you just had a baby and he was whisked away and, you know, all the things that are going through your mind and you just gave birth and you're going, you're feeling cold, you're shaking and the shakes are actually a really normal part of birth. Um, it can happen during labor itself or afterwards. And it's almost a protective, like I have a great episode um, with Leslie Everest coming up and um, we're digging deeper into the reason, like everybody shakes. So why the shakes? <laughs> and reading to uh Peter live in and somatic experiences and how that shaking can be a protective mechanism to your of mm. your neurological system to shake off the excessive uh, stress hormones that can then cause trauma. Mm. So that's a really interesting hypothesis, but and, and it kind of ties in with this idea of how much we say just shake it off. <laughs> like, yeah, is that what's behind that? So. Um, yeah. The fact that you were having all of that going through you, asking you, you're not in a in a state of mind to actually be fully present logic thinking yeah. to advocate and say, hey, but, you know, this or that or the other. Yeah. Um, and sometimes if in, you're in a little bit of a state of trauma, it you might be having a freeze response, which in that case, mm -hmm. you can't necessarily speak up. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what it felt like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I'd like to take away a little bit of the guilt from that because so as doulas, sometimes we're accused or, or told, you know, why didn't you say something when whatever was happening? Um, or just the same way as, as expectant parents or new parents might be told, well, why didn't you say something when your doctor was doing this? And that is coming the that's a different state of mind that's like yeah. telling somebody who's experiencing trauma in a way why didn't you say something well because biologically i was in a i wasn't in that mind that state yeah. of mind i was like in a more freeze response um so yeah it's not always something that you can do it's easy to mm -hmm. say why didn't you do it afterwards yeah yeah that's really interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so you were, so they said, no, you have, did they give you a new IV, uh, a new HEP block? 
Yes. To continue yeah, that? It, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after that, um, we were able to see our son, Declan, two hours after that. Um, and she was in the NICU um, in an incubator with an NG tube from his nose to stomach. And he had CPAP, which is a breathing aid. And um, I just remember he looked so distressed and was breathing so fast. And um, it just felt so helpless that I couldn't hold him and, and comfort him. But he spent 19 days in the NICU and this hospital didn't have a room and option. So we just commuted back and forth from, from home every day. Um, and we spent a lot of time doing skin to skin. And uh, yeah, one of the nurses told me that babies who do skin to skin um, as much as possible go home sooner. Um, and she was even even saying that in some third world third world countries where they don't have incubators, they just have uh, people doing round the clock skin to skin, which I thought was really interesting. Right, because they're getting more than just warmth from the skin yeah. to skin. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'm going to link on the show. I've been making notes and I will sh link on the show notes to um, what's called kangaroo care, which is um, kangaroo care involves in the NICU. They, they, they do it especially for preemies, but it's that constant skin to skin and with exclusive or trying to do exclusively breastfeeding as much as possible. Yeah. So what was the situation for you in terms of you, were you able to do skin to skin? You said you want to see him after two hours and he was in the incubator. How quickly were you able to do, start doing skin to skin from that moment? Um, actually not till the next day, um, till the next morning I was able to do skin to skin. Mm-hmm. And then what was going on with uh, his feedings? Um, so they had put an NG tube from his nose to his stomach and they uh, were able to use donor milk, which was great. And um, so minutes after he was born, the nurse actually got me started on pumping and I was able to produce just a few drops. And um, I began my routine of pumping every two hours and every four at night. And uh, I was producing enough for him. Um, which I was so thankful for. Um, and by the time my milk came in, I was pumping about 25 ounces a day. Uh, then it was up to about 45 ounces a day when he came home, which was wow. way more than he needed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was able to donate that to my sister's neighbor who had just also had a baby, uh, but wasn't able to produce breast milk, uh, which was just thrilled me to be able to do that. Um, so it wasn't till maybe a week and a half later um, in the NICU, they um, started giving him bottles and started weaning him off the NG tube. Um, and yeah, of course, all along, I had strongly wanted to breastfeed uh, before this happened. And I, I just thought, okay, now what? <laughs> Is there any chance of us being able to do that? Uh, but this hospital in particular has a wonderful lactation team. Um, and they even had a helpline you could call. And the day after Declan was born, um, a lactation consultant came to see me and she observed me pumping and actually uh, helped me fix some errors and showed me the most efficient way to use it and how to properly wash the parts. Um, 
And the Nikki floor even had a, a special room for pumping moms equipped with snacks and uh, pumps and parts, uh, which I thought was just wonderful. Um, so she walked me through what a baby born at 32 weeks is able to do, um, which was at this point to latch and to suck. And she told me that she would be checking in on me to there to see where we were at. And she said, one day you'll be nursing your baby and counting his eyelashes. Um, to me, that, that seemed like forever away, but it, it, um, it was something I, I really wanted to get to. Um, so they eventually trans- transitioned him from the NG tube uh, to bottles. And then I would practice breastfeeding with him um, every chance I got. Um, and they let me do it pretty much um, for every feeding that I was able to be there. So how did that go? Um, so I, I remember the very first time I put him up to the breast, it was probably a week and a half after he was born. Um, I was holding him and it was probably, um, yeah, he was, he was hungry and, uh, they hadn't given him his tube feeding yet. And the nurse told me I could put him up to the breast and I did. And he latched on and, uh, he settled down, which just amazed me. And it gave me so much hope and encouragement. And, um, the lactation consultant gave me a nipple shield to use, um, that he would be able to get more milk with, uh, is that, was that the, how did you feel about it? And was it, was he having a hard time latching without it? He wasn't, which, which kind of, so, um, there's, you know, it was, it was so that he could be getting more. And I just remember being kind of disappointed um, because I'd listened to the, the, the um, interview with Jack Newman and I figured that that would probably throw us for a loop, you know, when we wanted to wean him off of it. Um, and he did eat more with it, um, but he was, he was definitely latching on okay without it. Um, yeah, I've, I'm going to research that more because I've never heard that about babies getting more milk yeah, you, with the with the nipple shield. Yeah, you typically hear the opposite. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I'm not wondering if it's a specific to preemies or what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, anyways, you were uh, he was on your he was feeding he was latching you were um using the nipple shield and at this point you were because you were going back and forth so maybe half and half feeding him or how often yeah yeah that's right um so uh by the time he was discharged from the NICU he was eating mostly from bottles uh but they told me I could breastfeed every other feeding and gradually transition um so at that point uh once we got home uh, we pretty much just did skin to skin as much as possible. Um, I pumped, prepared his bottle and then practiced breastfeeding. Um, and it wasn't till, um, I reached out to, uh, uh, La Leche League and they advised me that the more I offered the breast rather than the bottle, the more receptive he would be. And, um, after I heard that, I never gave him a bottle after that. Um, and even now, he doesn't know what to do with one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also took him to see my local lactation consultant. And um, she said he had a good latch without the nipple shield. 
And she gave me some exercises to do with my pinky finger uh, with him. And uh, my biggest obstacle was that when he used a nipple shield, he wouldn't open his mouth big. Um, since with the nipple shield, he, he didn't really need to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we worked on that over and over and uh, just tried getting getting him to, to open his mouth as much as possible. And I did um, use um, Jack Newman's resources. I think he has some videos online. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned those because he's got some beautiful, uh, wonderful videos. And, I, and they're so precise. It's like, here's a brand new baby eating. Here's a good feeder. Here's a suckler. Here's a... Yeah. 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 That was so helpful. That was, that was wonderful. Um, yeah. So I, I tried, um, all the things to, to, to wean him off the nipple shield. Um, and I just tried to never make him feel pressured. Um, I felt pressure that it was just pressure I was putting on myself. Um, but I, I didn't want to make him feel that. Um, but then I would say it took probably two to three months of weeding off the nipple shield. I think we would, um, start the feeding um, with the nipple shield and then try to, to end it without it. And, um, but it was almost like overnight, he just got the hang of nursing without it. And uh, ever since then, with the exception of one nursing strike <laughs> a few months ago, um, breastfeeding has been like second nature to him. And it's just been so rewarding. And I often think back to what to, that lactation consultant told me about how one day, um, yeah, you'll be feeding him and, and looking down and counting his eyelashes. No, and you've been counting his eyelashes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. Um, do you remember how old he was when he finally let go? You said he got it overnight. How old he was when he let go of the nipple shield? He was three months. Three yeah. months after being born, which made him, what was that, gestationally? Oh, I'm going to have you do uh, math. Four months. Yeah, he was one month gestationally and three months adjusted, or three months actual. Right. Um, okay, yeah. I'm just try, you know, trying to figure yeah. out if that had anything to do with it, with the immediacy, which with mm-hmm. he got it. But I guess they do the same thing with everything, right? When they start learning to walk, it's fall, 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 and get up and fall, <laughs> get up and fall, and then yeah. suddenly one day, boof, off they go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were your feelings once you got home? And um, yeah, looking back on this experience now, where is, how are you feeling about the birth? It, you know, it took me a while to process it. Um, but but looking back, you know, and, and at first, I did feel shame and, um, and I thought, you know, this isn't how things are supposed to go, but I've really been able to, to come to terms and to say, you know, yeah, um, it wasn't the birth I had envisioned, but, um, it went really well. And I feel like, um, one of the things I had prayed for about my labor was that he would have a a peaceful transition from womb to world. And I feel like he did have that, um, and, you know, it was um, really, really interesting to see how hospitals work and how, how NICUs work. And um, it also opened my heart to other NICU moms and um, 
you know, especially I felt like there wasn't very many resources for uh, more natural minded moms um, who had preemies. And something that was really great was um, that the birth center that I, I had been going to actually um, gave me the email of another mom who had just had a preemie also at the same exact hospital. Um, so that was really great. So it was, it was really eye opening. Um, and yeah, now looking back a year later, it's just, um, though it was hard, it was also just one of the best experiences of our lives. And it really taught us a lot. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, and that shift, that mental shift that requires you to constantly be surprised and curious and adjust to just having kids. <laughs> well, do that no matter what. Um, yeah. But you're, you set out with an intention of having an unmedicated vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And maybe not at 32 weeks or 31, three. <laughs> yeah. But you did do that. Um, yeah. And other than just him being early, were there any other complications? Um, no, there weren't. Um, yeah, which, you know, we weren't really sure what to expect. And um, they did uh, put him on antibiotics as uh, they had tested my placenta. And I guess it, they tested positive for, um, I forget what they said it was. Was uh, it choreo? I don't think so. Okay. Um, but they said uh, they would put him on antibiotics for, for seven days uh, just as a precaution, um, which I see some of the effects of that now. Um, but yeah, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, there were no other things that came up that were that were serious, which we were so thankful for. And then when you got home, like, wow, where was your... Or not even when you got home, when you were still in the NICU and those 19 days, you said that you were going back and forth. Um, how were things at home and in terms of support and being able to get yourself honor your recovery, your postpartum yeah. recovery in some ways? What were you or if anything, were you trying to do to to honor that? Yeah, so um, that was definitely hard to think about, uh, to think about, you know, not putting uh, much stress on on my um, core as much as possible um, and just resting when I could. But um, in the first two days, it was really hard to do that, um, going back and forth from uh, floor to floor and um, going in and out to, of, of the hospital to the parking deck and all that. Um, but I, I had such a great support team. Um, my friends uh, were there for me and brought me food and um, my, uh, my family was so helpful and as well as my church. And, um, so yeah, I had a great support team. We had, um, lots of food being brought over, um, which I was so thankful for. Um, so yeah, the support was, was really great. Mm. And then when he finally came home, were you able to cocoon a little bit with him and just hang yes. out? Or <laughs> Yes, that was just, the, I think, the best part of everything. Um, I just, yeah, I dedicated every day with just, um, you know, trying to make up for, for the days that, that we were apart and um, just constantly um, carrying him and, and, and just resting and really not putting um, any pressure on. Um, on us to, to get things done or, um, yeah, 
we were just enjoying each other as much as we could. Mm, that sounds lovely. <laughs> and counting eyelashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eventually, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bernice, before we close up, is there anything that we you want to make sure you wanted to make to that wanted to make sure that you got to that we haven't mentioned, or something you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, um, there are at least three resources that I wanted to mention. Um, the first is the Solly Baby Wrap. Um, that was so beneficial for the fourth trimester. Um, and it just, yeah, it just helped a lot at, at, a, at giving me those um, happy hormones. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that, that makes, that gets the baby really snuggly up to you. It's very yes. soft and t-shirt-like, yeah. right? Yeah, you very, you almost forget that he's there. It's just, yeah, it's really great. Um, and then also, uh, I did a core program. Um, it's Hannah Bauer's core program, and um, it teaches you uh, everything you you need to know about uh, proper core health and how to engage your core correctly during um, everyday life, and uh, particularly for for pregnant women as we have that extra strain there in the middle and. Um, to help to prevent injury and um, to establish um, correct functionality um, for your pelvic floor. And um, yeah, I I felt it it really helped me to learn how to breathe and um, lengthen during contractions. I feel like um, we kind of think that we're supposed to um, constantly be doing this this Kegel um, and then we forget how to lengthen. properly. And yeah, that was just so helpful. Um, yeah. And I feel that it, it helped a lot with, um, recovery too, because, um, I had remembered to, to do my breathing exercises afterwards and it had become more like second nature. Yeah. proper um, breathing. And it's so simple, right? It's, you don't have yeah. to get into a high regimen run of, of, right. you know, kegels and, and doing squats and things. It's just even just plain old, good, yeah. deep, diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we were born to breathe. So, um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then also Alexia Leachman's book, Thrillist Breathing, which um, I, I think you had her on the podcast. I did. I'll link on the episode notes. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I loved that, that episode. Um, but yeah, reading her book really helped me to address my fears about labor and delivery head on instead of, um, just avoiding them. And yeah, it just really helped me to gain confidence and to, uh, to address all the fears that I, I had about labor and delivery. Mm, fantastic. I'll put all those through all three of those in the show notes. And thank you so very much for wanting to share your story. I'm glad that everything worked out. And now, yeah, happy birthday coming up. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Adriana. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vivace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Bernice had for breakfast. Uh, Yes, I had yogurt and sourdough bread.
I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.